Welcome everybody to Wrestling With The Truth. My name is BC Hunter, sitting here in the blanket booth, not alongside, but through uh, virtual reality with the Nightmare Jay Myers. Nightmare, how you doing today? Doing fantastic. Through the uh, powerful uh, force of the interwebs, we are connecting yet again and, uh, and uh, able to uh, stay, stay virtually connected. I'm doing fantastic. Nightmare Nation hopefully is doing fantastic. And uh, so is... Uh, was it? Oh, I've already forgotten your your click. I've already forgotten it. <laughs> well, Ted has uh, given the uh, name of the House of Hunter. The House of Hunter, right? House of Hunter. Although <laughs> even I keep forgetting to use that. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, but it's Not good. Like it's Nightmare good. Nation, but hey, I, I give him full props for that. Agreed. Ted. Ted's a legend. So here we are. Um, we're at the culmination of the November to Remember, the coming together of the Superpods. You know, this has been a, an amazing uh, month. We've had. The guys from Just Another FM Podcast. We had Andy the Taxman from Grappling with Canada. We've had um, the guys from, well, Mike from Barry the Gimmick. Uh, unfortunately, Ken was unable to make it, but still Mike made up for the, the two of them. And now, as I just stated earlier, we have the main event, the culmination of this month. We are welcomed into the blanket booth again via Zoom. We have Aaron from Wrestling by Wooldridge. Aaron, how you doing? I'm very good, thank you guys. Um, yeah, great to be on the show. I've been a fan since since day one, to be honest. First episode, so you know we've been trying to get this done for a little while, and it's, you know you call me the main event. I hope, um, yeah, I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> I'm sure you won't. And I mean, yeah, talk about day one. I, 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 the feeling is mutual. I've been a fan of yours since day one, and honestly, you were the first person uh, when I joined Twitter to uh, reach out and uh, say hello, and and it was just. One of your basic, uh, you know, hey, nice to meet you, and I, I have a YouTube show, and it would be great if you would give it a shot, and said, okay, that's what I'm going to do, and uh, I think not only did I give it a shot, I gave it a critique for you, <laughs> and, uh, and then yeah. we became fast friends after that, I think. Yeah, I know. when you sent that to me, I was a bit in shock, because obviously I haven't had that before, but uh, that was really helpful, and like, you gave me some really good pointers and everything. Um, and as soon as you guys said you were going to be doing a podcast and then I saw you drop it, yeah, I was really excited to get into it. Um, yeah, I've been really impressed by, by the, everything you guys have been doing, just the diversity, the sound quality, which is all great. So, yeah, good, good to collab. <laughs> no, we we appreciate that, and I will I will validate. Like uh, BC has been on your train since day one, so uh, for sure that uh, he's shed some light on uh, for me too. So, and uh, I just want to say, like watching your videos, it's really cool how you. And I don't know how you do it, but it's really cool how you do that, like really artsy sort of thing with the stills. But like I know it's probably to avoid copyright. But, yeah, like, no, it's but... really cool. It's really cool at the same time too. It's like really, it's nice to watch too. Yeah, I kind of wanted to do something a little bit different with the. I didn't because, yeah, I think I, I think that's the thing when you do YouTube. It's such a saturated sort of product. You've got to try and try and separate yourself a little bit. So I just kind of thought, well, you know, instead of just using your normal pictures, maybe try and make them. I don't know if it comes across like this, but try and make them sort of like a painting kind of feel. Yeah. Um, instead of just looking at my boring face, just go through the match. Like <laughs> better to actually visually see it. So. And I appreciate that. It's I awesome. went back and watched your first episode, very first episode that you had on there for your top five matches. And it's amazing to me now that I see how much your confidence has grown as you've gone on. Cause uh, just the, the difference in delivery, it's, you know, it's reps, right? You got reps in and, and just, yeah. uh, you, you have so much confidence in your, 
your product and it's just so you were so, and you were great back then like you, you did an awesome job back then but to see i mean the professionalism that you put into your videos um like jay said i love that whole mosaic uh, feel to it it feels like uh stained glass paintings for, for the actual um pictures and it's just great it, and it adds that little texture to the the matches that you're talking about so yeah great job on on yeah. all your videos for, I mean, further to what you were saying, Aaron, it, you get to follow along easier, I find, like, because you get that actual visual with what you're actually, the audio yeah. that you're coming through. So I, I, it's really easy to watch, which is nice. Because sometimes, like you say, it's like, man, it's just like a talking head or random photos or random stills that have nothing to do with the actual thing that you're talking about. So, yeah, I, th I think that's it. Because I think in the sort of first couple of episodes I've done, like, um, I didn't view so many pictures. And then I got a bit of feedback saying, oh, you should try and use more. I think that's it, isn't it? When you do, you know, podcasting on YouTube, you're going to start out quite, you know, a bit raw. But, it, you know, as long as you keep progressing and trying to build yourself up, you know, that's the main thing. And, you know, it's still not still not the end product. There's so much. I'm still kind of limited to what I can do. So mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, eventually um, we'll get even better. So. Was there a method to your madness as to why you chose YouTube over, say, just a sound podcast like 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 we're doing? Um, yeah, you know, I didn't actually think about podcasting, strangely. But, um, I mean, I, I went to university and I studied uh, acting, uh, did a drama degree. So I've kind of always been comfortable. Well, I thought I was comfortable in front of a camera or an audience um, until I did it in front of a camera by myself, which is a bit weird, but maybe, maybe that was the choice I chose YouTube over podcasting, but I have watched channels like your Wrestle Talks, um, Cultaholic and all that. I've watched them for so many years now. And, you know, I just think when lockdown hit um, in, in the UK, I, I just kind of thought, I want to do something besides just normal work. I want to do something I enjoy. And I just thought, you know, other people do this, so why can't I give it a shot? So I guess that was my thought process. <laughs> now, Aaron, you mentioned uh, basically in your bio for it, but you've, you've been a lifelong wrestling fan, have you? Yeah, I have um, probably oh, since I was about eight years old, I believe. That was around the time. Yeah, um, it was kind of, I mean, no one really got me into it. I think um, I just went into a video store saw a video cassette for uh, WrestleMania 2000, McMahon in every corner. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just picked that up, put it in and watched the whole show and yeah, just, just fell in love with it, to be honest. Um, everyone everyone hates on that card, but, you know, it is a bit sentimental to me. So, yeah, ever, ever since then, you know, sort of 2000, 2001, so end of the Attitude Era was when I got into wrestling, but... You know, I love all, I love all the old stuff as well, like the eighties and nineties. Yeah, love wrestling. I think uh, the reason for the hate on that card—not that I hate it—but it was what was weird is I think every match was a multi-person match, or maybe there was only oh. one match that didn't have multi-person in it. Like there's a bunch of tag team matches, uh, the four-way obviously, and three ways and things like that. So maybe that's what kind of threw people off. It also yeah, didn't have. Yeah, sorry, Aaron. No, I was just going to say, it also didn't really, to me, didn't have a memorable main event either, right? Mm. Um, like that, so that kind of, but I agree, I didn't hate it. It was also like 2000 was so catchy and everything was neon. And like they were so like, it was so like that turn of the century kind of phenomena that was going on. But yeah, I think it was just because it was kind of all over the place with matches. Yeah, it definitely was. 
Those are making us feel old, uh, Aaron, with your uh, with your WrestleMania 2000 is your eight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a struggle, <laughs> but you just have to go back and watch the old matches, and then you get back into it. Yeah, you mentioned uh, so it's starting in 2000, but have you gone like? Are you a fan of some of that early 90s stuff, the 80s stuff? I know it's not for everybody. I mean, Jay talks about that a lot too. Some of it is very slow, and and I get that. I think. Yeah the focus was really on the storylines back then and just getting um, the characters over, getting people invested into the characters, the stories, the match itself. I mean, I I think a lot of times, save for a few people didn't even really care about the blow off of the match. They just wanted to see what the story was about. How how do you find, are you, have you gotten into that at at all? Is it just a tough slog for you? I'd say like mid late nineties, um, mm-hmm. Sorry, mid late 80s mm-hmm. I'm into a lot early 90s I haven't looked at too much which is strange because that was sort of Shawn Michaels Bret Hart coming up yeah, um, yeah I, th- I think what draws me back back to that era is just a larger than life feel of a lot of the guys like I'm not one of these guys who's like oh I just got to have big men in wrestling screw the small guys but you can't deny that all these massive guys like Hogan Slaughter, you know, Randy Savage, just larger than life guys. The characters were huge. And yeah, you know, like you said, the matches weren't great, but the storytelling was there. Um, the character work was there. I, yeah, I, I can easily go back and watch that sort of era. But uh, yeah, I do kind of, you know, because I started out sort of late Attitude Era, I'd say the Attitude Era is mm-hmm. something I sort of go back to. I'm not like a diehard for it like some guys are, but yeah. Yeah. You mentioned WrestleMania 2000. You said you were around eight at that time. So literally, you were born the year that SummerSlam was in the UK. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Bret Hart. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice <laughs> That's fate, isn't it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I need to bring it back. <laughs> just uh before we move on from the uh the 80s stuff like uh, for me i think and now like i i kind of often go back and i the pacing was really bad for me because i just i can't get into it but it kind of and if i really look at it from a higher uh from a different lens it fit for the crowd at the time yeah because you didn't have this like add crowd that we do now or even into the mid 90s so it's like and TV was different too, early eighties, right. And, and mid eighties. So I actually can appreciate that it was not needed to be different than it was. So I guess, I mean, in, in playing devil's advocate, I still don't love the pacing, but that's that for the time, it probably was perfect for the era. Yeah. Yeah. That is something I didn't mention, like the, the crowd engagement, like you say, it's just, it's so authentic. I think, you know, like in today, you know, sometimes I watch like AEW for instance, and you know, I'll take like the latest episode, for instance, where a lot, of, you know, and the, the fans were chanting on that MJF. But there's still a part, I mean, which thinks this isn't authentic. Like the yeah. fans know they're playing a part. They know they're supposed, they're supposed to hate MJF, so they're going to do it. Whereas back in the 80s or the early 90s, you, genu- you genuinely hated or loved these guys. And that's something I loved back then. Like the fan engagement was just so great. Uh, that's a super good point. It was organic then, and it's yeah, not organic it. now. Right. And actually, even listening to that to some analysis of that promo, and we're going to get into that in a different episode. But <laughs> like hearing some people applaud the crowd for making or for um, the AEW product now, where the crowd, I think it was Mark Henry said, like the crowd makes the show and they're good for the show. I was like, I did vehemently disagree. 
they're actually detrimentally impacting storylines and match flow and everything. So I, and that could be not just AEW, that's in crowds in general, but. Totally agree with you, Jay. And great point, Aaron. I, I've said the same thing. It it feels like the crowd is ironically mm-hmm. cheering or booing things instead of just organically allowing it to happen. And that was one of the things about the 80s. You could say, oh, well, they were, they, kayfabe wasn't broken back then. But come on, everybody do the same thing as we know now. That a guy was going in the corner, getting punched in the face 10 times and then get one bruise on him. We knew it wasn't real, <laughs> right? And so, but you, the characters, you were so invested in them that you really did feel that hate for them or you really f- did feel that love for them. I mean, if you want perfect examples, we obviously when we're talking 80s and we're talking about the pace of matches, we seem to be leaning towards the WWF at that time. But that was, I think, intentional on the part of the WWF because they didn't want every match to be a five-star match as we go for today. They wanted you know that cool down, and then when the big match happened, that yeah. was the one the fans were fired up yeah. for. But you can also, and I don't know, Aaron, if you've checked it out, I know Jay's done a little bit, but maybe not as much as I have, but have you ever checked out like the, the old NWA and the old UWF or Mid-South, as, as they called it back then, or that kind of stuff, where the action was a little bit faster, you still had your spots where you know they're working an arm or working a leg, but they're not working it in a rest hole. They're working it. It's a little bit of a different style, so it's it's kind of a mixture. And then when you want to talk about fans that were into it organically, holy moly, they were into it. I mean, Ricky Morton, you want to talk about a guy who drew love from fans just from his work? It's just crazy. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't seen too much of the um, old NWA and the mm-hmm. and all that. But, you know, I always hear great things about it. It is something I do need to go back on to because – yeah, when you like you hear about like Flair and Savage, those sort of iconic matches like that. Um, yeah, that is something I do need to check out, but I have I have yet now. So now today's product, which are you leaning towards? What's your preference? Are you a WWE guy or an AEW guy? Are you both, or or, or are you something different? I know Jay's just been MLW. Uh, yeah, trumpeting MLW. <laughs> I've been I've been praising uh, Impact. I mean, I think they need some love as well. But yeah, what, what's your preference at the moment? So it's a bit cliche, but like, you know, I am a wrestling fan. I don't, I don't really have loyalty to any one company. I'll always be a WWE guy in a sense though, because I started off with that promotion. I'll never, as much, you know, after all these sort of releases and everything, you get guys and I'm never going to watch the WWE again. I'll always watch the WWE because that's what I drew up watching. But I do enjoy AEW more at the moment. Um, there are things I don't like about AEW, you know, they're not perfect. Like you just said there with the pacing, I think that's a big thing. They're just, they're trying to, you know, every match, they're trying to make a five-star match. Whereas, w, you know, and people complain about the match quality for WWE sometimes, but that's by design. That's what Vince wants. He doesn't want the card to be a card full of five-star matches. He wants you to, he wants the crowd to kind of fluctuate, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, I'd lean towards AEW. I do watch a little bit of Impact when I can. I did watch Ring of Honor. You know, sadly, they are um, a bit up in the air at the moment. MLW is fantastic. Loved your guys' discussion on that um, a little while ago. Um, so yeah, just a general wrestling fan. Yeah, we, we, we say the same thing a lot, uh, Aaron, too. And, and like, it doesn't we're pro wrestling fans, so we can be critical of everything. We're not going yeah. to not be critical of WWE either. But... I and this just sort of popped in my head. Like to me, AEW is almost starting to branch out to its own genre of wrestling. So, like 
you know how we had the, the, the really like the WWF in the 90s, and then we had ECW, and then there was even the, the Japan death matches and all. To me, we're getting to a point now where you're going to have WWE style, and then you're going to have AEW be its own style, separate of independent, because independent wrestling still has its own style. But like, as long as you go into it thinking that, then I think that's fine. But like, the the lack of selling, the lack of storytelling in a match, the lack of all that stuff. Yes, hyper athletic matches, super fantastic like spots, all that stuff. But that is a different style now than what we maybe want to see from something else. And I, I guess maybe if we stop comparing apples to apples, that and I, that just sort of popped in my head as we were talking. But I think that should be where we go going forward. Like it's like comparing ECW hardcore glory days to like uh, NWA like 20 minute Iron Man match, right? You just can't, you can't do that. Yeah, they are two different things at the end of the day. You know, WWE, they do claim to be a sports entertainment product, whereas AEW is sort of your pure wrestling. But I think think the thing I like about AEW as well is the fact that, uh, you know, like you say, the selling and the storytelling isn't there with some of their matches, but they do have guys in the company that can do these things. Like, you know, your Cody, Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, these guys come in and they know how to work. So you can watch these guys have a really good sort of story-driven match. But then, you know, you've also got the spot fests for the guys that also enjoy them, the hardcore matches and whatnot. So I, I like what they're doing with that. But like you say, yeah, there is, there is um, still your pace and problems. But I, I know what you mean. I wish people would just stop sort of comparing the two because yeah. they are totally different. Yeah, yeah you can't. I don't think you can compare them right now. Now, you being over in the UK, I guess the UK wrestling scene's heating up quite a bit now too, is it not? Yeah, it's getting on a bit now, definitely. Obviously, NXT UK has kind of got most of the great talent there, but you've still got you know a lot of great things back here. You've got the ICW in Scotland. We have one in Norwich, actually, um, WAW, which is obviously the Knight family, Pages family. Um, so yeah, it is heating up again, which is great, for sure. Is NXT UK running local? Because they were they're coming over here to film the show, right? But are they still running locally over there? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. I just I, I've not caught a lot of it, but I've only seen what they've been doing in the CWC there or whatever. So, to be honest, I haven't watched it recently, but um, yeah, I do believe they are back to doing it. Yeah. Is there one particular organization on the local scene that you're? you're really into that you you're following pretty heavily or that you're able to get to the shows um there is the one in norwich um i'm not actually sure if they're back up and running now i'm pretty sure they are starting to do shows again i think they've got one advertised um so i'll definitely be going to them just because of the close proximity to it but there are a couple in london um which you know like your progress and stuff like that um rev pro as well which you can go and see so i'll definitely be interested in going to see them so Will Ospreay, when you rank him amongst the best in the world, where do you put him? Both him and I guess Zack Sabre Jr. would be from the UK as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zack Sabre Jr. Ooh. I think Will Ospreay has got a lot better than he used to be. I think, you know, back in the day, a lot of people used to think he was only sort of a bit, a bit of a spot monkey, to be honest. Not much psychology, not much storytelling there. But ever since his heel turn in New Japan, I think he has stepped up a notch. I know a lot of people have soured on Will Ospreay because, you know, there's a bit of controversy around him at the moment, but I'll definitely put him up there um, as one of the best. You know, if, if you watch his recent work, I think he's really proven himself to be a great all-round wrestler. 
still one of the most athletically gifted wrestlers in the world at the moment. So I wouldn't put him up there just yet, you know, with, with the greats, but he's, he is certainly on his way. He's a young, he's still a young guy at the end of the day. You know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, if he stays in New Japan, are people going to consider him to be one of the greats at the end of his career or does he need to come to America? Right. You know, that's, that's one of the big questions surrounding him. Yeah, it's interesting. We um we had a conversation recently with uh, Wrestling Machine, uh, you know, Twitter famous NWO Machine. Uh, but he's talking about that. He's from uh, around the same area as Kenny Omega, and he mentioned about that. You know, Kenny can do as many seven star matches as he wants in New Japan, but really he had to come over to North America, make a name for himself here, which he's doing with AEW. But like he said, he thinks deep down eventually. You'll probably see him go to WWE at some point just so he can finally get onto that massive stage and get the true appreciation for what he does. And it's, it's not to say that WWE's better or anything like that, but it just it gets that many more eyeballs onto onto this person where then they can now say, okay, yeah, I've done all. Like AJ Styles, great example. AJ Styles for years considered one of the best wrestlers in the world. Then, you know, that was in TNA. Then he goes over to New Japan and really makes a name for himself over there and comes back. And as soon as he hits into the WWE, now he's in the conversation where we're talking top five, top ten of all time. time. Yeah. Uh, First ballot Hall of Famer, which anybody who follows wrestling would have said that long ago. But it's almost like you need that massive stage for everybody to appreciate what this person can do. Yeah, definitely. It will be interesting to see if Omega goes to the Personally, I don't think he will, just because, um, like, I, I know what you're saying, like, WWE is, is seen as that, you know, the, big, the biggest stage, as big as AEW will ever get. WWE has that sort of history behind it. Mm-hmm. It's got WrestleMania, you know, the biggest wrestling show in the world. But I think, you know, as the years go by, I think it's, it's less enticing for certain wrestlers, like your MJS or your Darby Allens. Like, I can't see them guys wanting to go to the WWE just to perform at WrestleMania. But I think for a lot of wrestlers coming into the business, like you say, like there's always that thing was like, oh, you know, what, what, what do you want to achieve? I want to get to the WWE. I want to perform at WrestleMania. But now we have, you know, AEW around. Um, I just don't see that as much of a commodity these days anymore. So I, I don't know. Uh, personally, I can't see Omega going over there, but... Um, you could yeah. do just, just to cement that legacy for sure. I think you bring up a good point, Aaron, in that I think the allure of WWE may have rubbed off a little bit, but in my opinion, there still might be the what if, right? Because mm-hmm. if you go your whole career and you never take a chance and go to, let's be honest, and we're going to take shit, but we're used to it, the major leagues of pro wrestling, if you never try your hand at the NFL or the NBA or MLB, it's, it's equivalent to that. So there might always be the what ifs, like in my opinion, I don't know if, if I'm a worker or a talent that would always linger in the back of my head, no matter how much you think you might be hampered or hindered or your style tinkered with, it would always be like, man, oh man, but I never got to see if I could make it because to, to BC's point, AJ's was a great example. There's a guy who was always going to look, be thought of as too small. His style wasn't the right style. He didn't have the promo work. He didn't have the character. And then lo and behold, guess what he does? He goes and creates all that stuff. And so therefore it doesn't matter that he, and he also got pretty jacked up too. So, I mean, he looks the part too. 
But who's to say Will couldn't do that, right? I mean, he's already moved to the heavyweight division, right? They're billing him at 230, so it's not like he's going to go in with some cruiser, which they don't really factor that in anyway now. So I don't know. Like, I mean, you probably know him better than than, than we do, but I, I would say he would be that perfect AJ mold, right? As yeah. long as he gets to build that character up. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think you have to be as big a star as AJ was when he went to the WWE. I, I wouldn't be a performer that would just, you know, start from the bottom. I think if you're going to go to the WWE and know that you're going to be able to, like, cement the legacy like an Omega would want to, you have to come in at your, you know, the peak of your powers kind of thing. So Vince is like, well, you know, we can make money off this guy like he did with an AJ Styles. So, yeah, I'd give, you know, give Osprey a couple, two or three more years to, you know, I know he's a bit of a dispute at the moment, whether he is the champions, but make him the top guy in New Japan and then, you know, maybe go over to the WWE so that you're, you know, you've got to improve your self-worth in a way, if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. The other thing that too, that, that I think people maybe not in the, in the moment of being a wrestler, maybe don't give too much credit. I think going to WWE extends your career from a body perspective, because you don't have to have that style forever. Right. And AJ is a beneficial uh, benefit of it as well. Like, yes, he still gets to do the, the flying forearm and all that stuff, but he's been able to probably add two, three, four years onto his career. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, no matter if people want to admit it or not, that style that gets worked around the world, including AEW, that's hard on a man's body or a woman's body. Like that cannot be underestimated. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Bang on the money there. I mean, look at Randy Orton. The guy's been in the business for what, like 20 odd years now, never been injured. Yeah. Never, no. you know, he's been out injured barely, maybe less than a year altogether. Mm-hmm. Such a good example. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, Jay. And uh, it kind of dovetails into what we were talking about with the fans and their expectations and, and how they play along and stuff like that. I mean, you hear so much grief on uh, social media about AJ right now. And, oh, he's stuck in this thing with Omos and, he, and he's getting wasted. No, what they're doing right now is twofold. One, they're letting AJ rest his body and heal up because he does he has to do not even half the work. He has to do a quarter of the work because it's a tag team match. And I know he's doing the majority of the work in the match, but it's not the same as his matches. He was having them one-on-one with a Seth Rollins or something like that. So he's getting to heal up a bit. Plus, he's now just pouring all this wrestling knowledge into this guy that they obviously tagged. I mean, we heard The Undertaker say he's the closest thing to Andre. I don't <laughs> – now, I'm not, I'm not going to go that far with it. But Undertaker's a company guy. He's doing his job. But they're, AJ's now yeah. pouring on the road, on road trips for a year straight, pouring all that wrestling knowledge into Omos's head. And don't worry, in, in another – Five months, six months, AJ will be back solo again. And he'll be right back up the top of the car because Vince McMahon's going to look at that and say, thank you, AJ, for doing that, and now here's your reward. And I know people say, oh, McMahon doesn't see that stuff. Yes, he does. The fact that AJ made the main roster without even touching NXT tells you how much that they were aware, and you brought that up too, Jay, in I think our last episode. Yeah, 100% agree with you there, man, for sure. I think you know people who yeah complain at AJ's position, it's a bit ridiculous. You know, you know that Vince values the guy. I mean, I don't think he would have wrestled against Shane McMahon at WrestleMania, but uh, so Vince didn't right. trust the guy. So that just goes to show. And like you say, as soon as he is done with this storyline with Omos, I totally agree. He'll be back up the card because Vince trusts the guy. 
Well, we've brought this up too. He's he's come out and said it in interviews. He does he he's yeah. okay with his position. He wants this to be his position. He wants to give back. He doesn't need to be the top guy anymore. So let's give the guy the man himself some credit for that. Like stop trying to complain on his behalf and just and just yeah. accept that he's he's in this position because he wants to be. Same thing as Riddle and Orton. Orton's yeah. doing the yeah, same thing. If, if you teamed Omos with uh, Drew Gulak, for instance, no, no offense to Drew Gulak, but you know. Who, how are you going to push Omos up the car? How are you going to improve the car? But sticking him with a, with a name like AJ Styles is only a good thing, isn't it, at the end of the day? So the same, same with Orton and Riddle, like you just said. Well, isn't it the quintessential like wrestling blueprint? I mean, look yep. at Nash and Michaels and yep. go down the list, right? I mean, you, you, you do it for everybody like that. It's perfect. People complain about they're not being stars in WWE, right? No, they never build up any stars. This is how you build up stars. That's right. With the guys lower down the car. Yeah, it's a perfect one. I mean, if people had their own way, you'd just hand the, the championship over to a different guy every week so everybody could be the world champion. And then it means nothing. Then the belt means absolutely nothing. There's a, Jake the Snake Roberts never held a title in the WWF his entire career. Was he a nothing? No. Yeah. He was Roddy, one of the most memorable characters of all time. You know? Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it gets kind of silly at times. And it's like, let the guy have some fun. Let him rest up his body. Let him do what he wants to do. Yeah, and you said it, Jay. You don't hear any complaints from him. No. So why are you complaining on his behalf? Right? Yeah. But like you just said about the, the title changes. Like I always see people on social media going, oh, someone needs to beat Roman Reigns. Someone needs to already beat Hangman Page. It's like, just, just let it. Like, why would you want Roman to lose the title? The man is on top of his game. But yeah, I do not want him to lose the title for a year, to be honest. And Hangman, like, why are we talking about who's going to take the title off him? Like, the AEW World Champion is, they've made it so prestigious. I don't want to think who's going to beat him just yet. Like, let the guy have the title for a little while before we start booking all these other... People just get so impatient. There's so much yeah. impatience in the wrestling world these days. What's next? Uh, What's next? Yeah. Yeah. That, Bunch you of said Goldbergs. It, you... Yeah, you nailed it. It's it's the impatience. It's the ADD mentality, right? It's yeah. it's that's killing it. I mean, mm-hmm. you just go, and I know I always shine MLW, but Fatu was champion in MLW from I think almost two years or something like yeah. that. Like they even they even and I don't I didn't look it up, but they claimed he was the longest running champion on TV of any promotion in the long in the last twenty five years or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, like let the guy breathe. <laughs> that's well, and a, and another great example is. Um, like, for instance, when Brock Lesnar holds the title. And if he holds it for a year and they say, oh, he only had, like, eight title defenses in the year, I don't care. Guess what? When he fights somebody, it's big time. And the mm-hmm. guy who beats him is big time. Whereas, like, I love Seth Rollins to death. But when Seth Rollins was champion, he was defending it every week on Raw, mm-hmm. every pay-per-view. And it got kind of tiresome at it. You just ran three years worth of title defenses through in six months. And it's like, you don't need yeah. to do that. I want that title to have some prestige back in the day. Hogan didn't show up on every superstars of wrestling and defend the world title, or he wouldn't have had a four year title run. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just backwards thinking, but I, I just, I feel like this whole lack of patience and this want for everybody to hold the title. You got to raise it up on a pedestal a bit. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't disagree, but I, I still wish 
The only thing with the Lesnar stuff is he's got to defend it at least the 30 days thing, right? Like, I think that should still matter. Like, you can't just That's go fine. months, months without defending it. That's no, my only thing. Yeah, I agree. Not every, not every Raw or every SmackDown, no. but I want at least one title defense a month. You know what I mean? Yep, that's fine. I think, problem, I, just, I think the problem with Lesnar was because he wasn't on this. On, I think it was the shows that kind of that suffered because of it. You know, to, to not have your, your main title, your main title holder on the show does... It kind of makes everything else seem a little bit, you know, it just it, Less it doesn't really entice me to go and watch it, if you know what yeah. I mean. I like, but like VC that you said there, you know, having him at the odd pay per view just always felt like a big match. And the matches were always incredible as well, yeah. you know. Lesnar yeah. is such a great worker, mm-hmm. especially when he works with the smaller guys. So, yeah. Do you guys think he gets the credit for that, though? It's a great point, but I don't think he no. gets the credit for that. He's one of he the really best should. workers of all time, in my yeah. opinion. Agreed. The guy is so good. Like psychologically, is insane. Is really good. Yeah, he sells his ass off too. (laughs) Yeah, for for a monster of his nature, like he really does sell like a beast, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. On its first appearance, he brought some hot takes. AEW is mini WWE. So when Razor came in, I always laughed. I said, this guy's taking my gimmick, right? He must listen to the show. A lot of laughs. I kind of have arms like Sid, but they're attached to my ass. Like his... And even started a feud with the Nightmare. This, yeah. This is, we're, we're not on video, but what do you mean? Listen, Jay, Jay, if, if I wanted your thought on this, I'd give it to you, okay? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what? What are we doing? I know BC is excited. What are we doing here? I, mean, I am super excited about what, this. What is going on here? And now he's back for one more round. Join us December 6th for the return of the Wrestling Machine. So let's get talking more about you, uh, Aaron. So um, your YouTube show has been around for about nine months, is it? Uh, yeah, about that, yeah. Okay. And when you started off, it was, uh, you started off with your top five matches of the week segment. And I loved what you did right away because the timing is perfect. For this. this is literally what we railed against in our last gorilla position. And it's when we talk about Dave Meltzer's five-star ratings, it's like, what the hell goes into that? How do we know what oh. makes that up? You did uh-huh. exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to you guys talk about that, I was pretty much sort of talking to you guys. <laughs> I agreed with everything you said. <laughs> well, and that's, that's great. That's a good, that's good that we uh, hit on the note, but I love what you did. You want to explain how you determine the quality of your match? Cause this not only goes into your original segment, which was the top five matches of the week, but then the next segment that you did, which I think you really hit on all cylinder, which I loved this idea the under analysis series a I, I, fantastic series of just taking one match dissecting it going through the whole the build-up the actual match itself and then giving your 
rating based on these categories. I think it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. So can you kind of tell us how you went about your decision on how you rate these matches? Yeah, so like you said there, like when you read sort of Dave Meltzer's star ratings, you know, you, you never hear a good explanation behind it. And I, I always, I've always felt in the past, you know, I'm, I'm a bit one of, the, one of these people who I read reviews. I just read reviews for everything. And when it comes to a wrestler match, I always read a review and then I see a star rating. But I, I don't, you know, if they give like a four star rating, they never say what was bad about the match. It's just a couple of good bits. And I'm, to me, I'm like, well, how did you come up with that? No one ever explains it. Someone goes, that match told a good story. How? Why? You know, what, what, what was it about? Just just tell me why it was a good story. Why was it good psychology? So what I wanted to do, um, what I tried to do, is split, um, is review a match sort of in, sum it up in five different categories. So I've tried to sum it up with storytelling, psychology, work rate, excitement, and match structure. And there's all kind of little bits that make up a match that go into each of those. And I've given a five-star rating for each of those categories right there so what i'll do i'll i'll go through a match and pick out moments within the match which link to you know with a great storytelling or great psychology and then at the end i'll try and sum it up and i'll try and explain why I, why i've given the rating for every single category because i feel like i don't know it just lets people know why i like you say you know i think i feel like if you're going to review a match you need to give a proper explanation not saying, you know, I give perfect ex- explanation. I probably miss out a few bits here and there, but um, it's just something that I've always been, you know, I think has been missing in the past with certain reviews or something that I'm trying to do. Just trying to do things a little bit differently. For sure. I mean, it's brilliant. It's it just, it's a, something that 10 years down the road, if somebody were to look back on some of these matches and they picked your review, they can actually see the thought process behind the rating on it. I, I love it. I, and I just wish more people, especially on the wrestling side of things, it's different for a movie to actually sit there and go, okay, here are the five tangibles of a movie that's going to decide our five-star rating or two-thumbs-up rating for this movie. But wrestling, you you picked the five things that, yeah, we should put into our thought process for a match. And, of course, there's always the intangible. You might have fours across the board, because of the uh, the actual max structure and all that stuff. But in the end, there might be an intangible where you go, this is a five-star match, though, because of such and such, you know, or, or the buildup, yeah. the, the, just the feeling of it or whatever. That makes sense, whereas, you know, somebody like a Melter, and yeah, I know we're picking on him, but just pulls something in the air and goes, ah, it's objective. Well, okay. And I hate yeah. I, I hate that he's broken the five-star system, too, because now what do you, what's what's a what's a top match? That's, that's kind of where I lost I might piece some people off a bit here, but that's kind of where I lost all respect for Meltzer when he broke his own five-star rating system. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, like you say, what, what's what's the top mark? Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And you know, something like you picked up with the the six-man tag on the latest AEW, how does that equate to what was done in the nineties, say between Brett and Owen or Brett and Bulldog? Yeah, it's something even I like. I look back on the ten, the ten chapters that I've already done, and like I've so for instance, so when when I've given a rating for each of the categories, I then sort of do a star rating for the match overall. I mean, there's something that I don't really like doing, um, but I feel like it's something that everyone kind of, you know, that they, they they like to see at the end of the day. So when I go back through my matches, like if I compare like the Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. 
and then I compare, say, um, like Dustin Rhodes versus Cody Rhodes. So I gave both of those matches a five star, but I think most people would probably say they prefer Bret Hart and Steve Austin over that. But I don't, you know, I still don't know if I would go. I would still want to break the five star rating. I just feel like there's just there's different levels to it, isn't there? Like if you give a four star match for two matches, it doesn't mean that they are the exact same rating. It's just which you know some people go for a ten instead of a five, which may make more sense because then you could say you could give Austin best spread up ten out of ten and something else a little bit less. So it is a tricky thing to do at the end of the day. Like it's not objective; it's always subjective at the end yeah. of the day. And it's always going to be interpreted differently, but that's, but that's okay. And what we were trying to highlight is your style is perfect because we can see, we don't have to agree with you, whatever you've, you've given as part of your explanation, but we can see it clearly. It's transparent. That in my opinion is all I'm asking for is it, apart from, well, this, this six man tag gets a, whatever it got, I forget what it got, but why <laughs> what, for the no selling or the lack of uh, consistency or like what I don't understand. Like, so at least with yours, it, it's it's a much more um, transparent system that we can follow along with, whether people agree with it or not. That's that's their own opinion. Yeah. Now you mentioned when when we first started watching that under analysis series, we, Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle. That was your favorite match of all time, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Now after doing under analysis and doing that one and doing some of the other uh, that you did, you did ten episodes in all, correct? Has your opinion changed at all from doing the under analysis? Um, I still think Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle is my favorite match of all time. Yeah, but I'm one of these people where it's not necessarily what I think is the best match of all time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Going through all ten matches, I think Bret and Austin is the best match of all time. That is the best wrestler match of all time. But certainly, like going back and um, studying um, Savage versus Steamboat, for instance. That is such a fantastic match. You can definitely mm-hmm. see why that's one of the best of all time. But no, I'd, I'd still say uh, Michael's the angle would be my favorite. I, I just love the story, the story that they told in that match with yeah. Michael sort of wrestling angle. I just found that so, just so interesting, just because angle is obviously gold medalist and all that. Was there a particular match that maybe you weren't so keen on and because you did the under analysis that it changed your opinion of it? Um, probably. Going back and watching Rock and Hogan, maybe. I don't know if I ever had great memories of that match. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just because of the match quality itself back in the day. I think when you're younger, you, you're always kind of focused and maybe you're like, you know, on the work rate and all the big moves and that. And with Hogan and Rock, there wasn't too much of that. But going back and watching it now, just the way they work the crowd, the story of the match, just the excitement behind it. The fans are just electric. So that might be one where I, you know, a little higher of it yeah i actually liked what you said in that in that video too because you you mentioned that specifically it wasn't the best work rate or anything but it was so iconic it was an iconic match and i know it's still i'm with you my favorite matches don't necessarily have to be the best worked matches you know what i mean like they're favorite to you for a reason that match is one of my favorites because of toronto it was wrestlemania it was like your childhood idol versus your new idol you know what i mean like there's all of that makes it one of my favorite matches. It wasn't the best match of all time by no means, but it was, it was pretty iconic. And I think you nailed it with that one. Agree. Uh, and now you've kind of morphed from the under analysis series to uh, a little bit of a fantasy book. And as I said, on uh, both your Owen Hart cup uh, analysis, <laughs> as well as your Xavier Woods, I mean, you spent 
two years you went deep on on the Xavier Woods booking. I mean, <laughs> give this give this guy the pencil. This guy's coming up with some quality stuff. What's, before what's, you uh, before you go into that, I was thrown off by that. I was like, am, wait, am I missing something? Like, I was literally thinking that this was all like I was like. I, I didn't go in at first when I was watching the woods one that you were actually like planning it out and all this stuff. I was like, wait, what did I miss? <laughs> like, when I first yeah, started watching it. When did WWE's writing get so good? So good? But yeah, no, I, I think um, after doing the analysis, I, I did kind of want to dip my toes a little bit into my fantasy booking and some other things. Um, although, you know, like I said, I, I loved doing the under analysis thing and I am planning to do, like a second season of that. But yeah, it is, I think everyone wants to try and do some fantasy booking sometime, don't they? So uh, yeah, I did really enjoy doing the Xavier Woods one. And I think the more I thought about it, it's like, oh, well, Xavier Woods is going to become, you know, world champion. I think it's going to have to be at least a few years down the line because he's probably not quite there yet. I had a few comments of people saying, he's never going to win. He was never going to win the title. I was like, I know, I know, I know. But maybe, you know, if you build him up a little bit, he might be at that level. So I just thought it would be fun just to book him to a level where I could win it. With the storyline and build-up you put into that, you could definitely see him oh, become totally a champion. See it. Yeah. Totally see it. The Kofi involvement, like the the heel turns and all that. So, yeah, no, it was cool. I do my fantasy booking through uh, WWE 2K games, Aaron. That's how I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was my child. That <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear that you're going to do another season of under analysis. That's great. Uh, um, there's just so many different matches that, that uh, you could pick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they're in my head. About how long does it take to put uh, one of those together, one of those under analysis episodes? Um, it probably, I mean, it does take a whole week sort of thing because um, I sort of try and do it in increments. If you do get a little burnout sometimes. So yeah, it's, it probably takes me the whole week to to because I write the script. Obviously, I'm not very good at talking off the cuff, <laughs> so I do have to write the script. Um, but then filming it doesn't take too long, probably about about an hour to do, and then editing is probably the thing that is quite a long process. Mm-hmm. That probably takes around six hours, I'd say. So it is quite a long process, but um, yeah, I, I love doing it. It's, it's great. Pays off yeah. for sure. Nightmare Nation, what's going on? It's your boy Jay Myers. Just wanted to check in. Thanks for checking out this episode and all the episodes uh, that we put out to date and all the wonderful listens and comments we get. We really appreciate it. If you want to check out and follow us on social media for the podcast, please do so. And uh, we are always looking for lots of great comments. You can get us at WWTTPod. That's at WWTTPod for all your Twitter and Instagram needs. And you can catch myself at J Myers WWTT. That's at J Myers WWTT. As for me, if you want to follow on Instagram or Twitter, I can be found at BC Hunter WWTT. And don't forget, we also have a website for the podcast. It's www.wrestlingwiththetruthpodcast.com. We are constantly updating it, so please go and check it out and feel free to leave some feedback. And if you want to email us, we do have an email address. It's WWTT at WrestlingWithTheTruthPodcast.com. Finally, we'd appreciate it if you could do your best Dave Meltzer impersonation and give us a five-star review on any of the podcasting apps that you currently use. We thank you for listening, and we appreciate all your support. And 
now back to your regularly scheduled program. All right. Now, speaking of under analysis, one of the things that we just, we agreed to do as part of this episode, we uh, we wanted to take a crack at your using your own system and let you judge how we did and see if we came uh, came across the same response as you had. So we picked a doozy of a match, and um, I'm sorry if we stole this from you, and if we might have uh, <laughs> uh, scooped a match you might be thinking of for season two. But God. Uh, after, we just talked about this off air. After watching this match over again, chef's kiss for this one. Yeah. <laughs> like This is such a good match. We decided to do an under-analysis of Bret Hart versus Owen Hart from WrestleMania 10. Widely considered the greatest opening match of a WrestleMania of all time. I'll put it out there as the greatest opening match of any pay-per-view of all, yeah. of all time. Just as a side note, I'd like to point out that this match received 4.75 stars from Mr. <laughs> Meltzer. So just... Just a little shy of Luchasaurus. Just what you <laughs> You'll never let that one die, mate. <laughs> Just to get that dig in there. So um, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a mini version of, of what you normally do, Aaron, because I know you spend a lot of time laying out the, the history around this and then laying out the actual match. You go through the match step by step so the fans get a, a feel for what's going on. I'm just going to go Cole's note so we don't take up too much time. But basically, um, I mean, the buildup started for this at SummerSlam 93 is where it all started, where uh, Brett had the match with Lawler. Um, Owen and Bruce Hart wrote in the crowd. Uh, I think Doink came out and, and got into it with those guys at ringside. I think actually, in typical Owen fashion, they pulled a rib on Bruce Hart. Uh, usually Doink would have the bucket and it would be full of confetti or whatever. And Owen got him to actually put water in the bucket and he threw it at Bruce. And Bruce is the only one who got soaked with water. So typical Owen style. And of course, he'd let anybody in on the rib. So <laughs> that's a good way to go. But you had that start off the, the feud. Then we move on to um, to Survivor Series. And leading up, we had a little bit of, uh, I don't know, maybe like brotherly jealousy over Brett being the star and Owen kind of being second nature. An, an interesting side note on this whole matchup at that time, Owen was kind of disinterested in the business at the time. He had gone and tried to apply for um, the fire department in Calgary. He was thinking of leaving the wrestling business itself because he really wasn't hitting that big time with WWF. Uh, Brett was in the midst of contract renegotiations, so he ends up saying to Vince, well, what's going on with Owen? Why are we not pushing Owen? Like, this guy's super talented. So part of it, I think part of his contract negotiations, he kind of got that push for Owen. This whole angle was supposed to be Bruce Hart that was going to be fighting Brett instead of Owen. Oh. Thank God that we got the other. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, Jay, you were going to jump in there with something? No, I didn't I didn't realize that. That's was, that was, uh, an interesting uh, wrinkle. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Part of it was in Brett's book, uh, Hitman, which is a great book, by the way. If anybody's ever read that one, it's 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 quite a doozy of a read. But uh, so we went into uh, Survivor Series. Originally supposed to be Jerry Lawler's team with uh, his three knights again, the the Hart family. But uh, Jerry got in a little bit of legal trouble at that point in time. We won't go into what that was involving. But uh, so it was Shawn Michaels who ends up stepping in as the captain of the team. And there, there were some famous people under the mask. I think uh, Greg Valentine was one. Uh, might have been Barry Horowitz might have been another one under the mask. I forget. Terry Funk, ironically enough, was supposed to be one of the people under the mask, but he uh, he backed out last minute. So, of course, you have the Survivor Series match where it's uh, uh, the Hearts versus the Michaels Knights, I guess, at this point. The only Heart that gets eliminated is Owen. 
of course. And uh, that's because of a foul up where he bangs into Brett on the apron. Uh, Owen gets rolled up for the pin. And, and then, of course, then the rest of the hearts end up winning the match. Uh, Owen comes back out at the end. He uh, He's uh, not happy about this whole situation. Gets into a bit of a jawing match with Brett. Uh, Brett, of course, does not want to fight his brother. Owen is ticked off. We're, we're seeing the seeds planted for the turn. And then that led through the month of November, December. There was some back and forth about uh, about Owen being better, Brett being selfish, this type of thing. Really good storytelling as far as leading up, which led to the, I guess, the reunification of the Hart brothers over Christmas. I still remember that angle where they talked about they had the Christmas holidays. They got back together. Christmas time felt good. And now they're back as one, and they're going to challenge the Quebecers for the uh, tag team titles at Royal Rumble. And I was so bought into that angle at that time that I thought for sure they would win those tag team titles, and I was so excited for Owen and Brett to be the tag team champions. But that's not what happened. <laughs> Does anybody remember what happened at Royal Rumble after that tag team match? I do only because I just watched it this morning and uh, ended up the rehash. But uh, yeah, they I forget how they lost, but then uh, Owen kicks out the knee, right? Yeah. Oh, not only does he kick out his knee, what do you remember what he said about it? <laughs> Back no. in the interview, Owen said, I kicked your leg out from your leg. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I'm shocked. They didn't that, show that. They didn't show that on the recap. <laughs> I'm shocked Vince didn't uh didn't pull the angle at that point, just like for that <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. It was he great. was never the best promo. I mean, we love Owen, but he was never the best promo. He got better. He got better. He did sure. get better. He did get better. Uh so yeah, so that was I guess the official heel turn for Owen. He kicks le- Brett's leg out. Um they have the interview backstage. He's he's talking about how Brett's never you know, he's always been selfish. He's been it for himself. He's never pushed for Owen. Uh, just great stuff. And then this leads up to a few different things happening in Raw where Owen interferes in matches that Brett's having, causing Brett to lose. Keeping in mind, it's still this whole time, Brett's saying, I will not fight my brother. Yeah. I do not want to fight my brother, which is a nice little wrinkle into this whole story. It just doesn't all of a sudden turn into, okay, let's just go fight. No, this is a family thing. To finally, I guess, Owen, just like a typical little brother, just irritates him enough that he says, fine, I'll fight you. And it's going to be at WrestleMania, which is, if you remember, this uh, also at the Royal Rumble, you had the double elimination of Brett and Lex, which led to the mini tournament, as you would call it, uh, at WrestleMania with Yoko and Lex fighting and Brett Noen, which then led to Brett Noen at the end fighting. So just there's so many layers to the story. It's beyond belief, which we're missing a lot of that today. I'll tell you that. So um uh, so that we'll, we'll take it from there. So, so Jay, I'll let you take over now. So, I mean, disclaimer, this, this has been noted on air as my favorite match of all time. So, I mean, obviously I'm probably a little biased on this, but it was a really cool exercise to go through and watch, by the way, almost a 20 minute match. So yep. they actually gave it a, a ton of good time. Um, and, and that was after all the, the hoopla of the WrestleMania starting. So um, yeah, so we have the five just, to refresh everybody, we got the five uh, categories. We got story, psychology, work rate, excitement, and match structure. So, which is really like kind of interesting to watch a match in the moment and then go through. So you must have fun yeah. doing this too because it's kind of a cool thing to sort of watch, enjoy the match, but then also trying to fit these in. Anyway, so I think you nailed it with the story. To me, the fact that you had the family angle, 
you had the buildup. I didn't, I forgot about the SummerSlam thing because I just had Survivor Series to Mania. That's a huge build as a, in and of itself, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we don't get that ever now. Um, you've got the, also, and I think you just briefly touched on it. Let's throw in the fact in the story that Brett has to wrestle twice either way, yep. including for the for the championship. Like that's, that's uh, talk about something in the back of your mind that you're maybe a little bit preoccupied with that gets played into it as well. It's so much so that Vince, even at the end of the match kind of says it kind of playing into it. Right. Um, so for me, the story was unquestionably uh, top notch. I gave it five, especially in the age of campy nineties WWF. Right. I mean, everything was over the top. Everything was cartoony. This was a real angle that we didn't really get that much. And I, I was young, but I don't, I don't remember a ton. Um, so yeah, story for me was, was fantastic as you really, um, did a great job leading into, uh, that to set it up. Um, then we go into psychology, watching the match, the back and forth, um, the move for move counters, um, the frustration on both parts, even Brett getting frustrated at some points was fantastic. In my opinion, selling of the knee from rumble like that, that played into a huge part of it. The submission stuff, he Owen factors into it. Um, but yeah, it just Brett getting facially like annoyed like that. That was so cool. Even Owen had some great facial expressions as well. So Jay, uh, I thought, Jay, so yeah, can I just jump in one second. Cause I love that point you made about the annoyance. One of my favorite parts of that match is where Owen has him down the back. He's just got a wrist lock in. He starts raking him with the boot and Brett points up at him. It's like you little shit. That type of thing. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. That was great. It's yeah. just annoyance. Like you said, annoyance. It's so good. Yeah. He was just getting, you could just see the gradual yeah. uh, pissing yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was getting super, super pissed off at the end. Uh, so, I mean, again, I gave the psychology five. I mean, I don't know how you could argue against that. I mean, they, they, they laid it out so well. The work rate, this one is probably a little bit more, you could argue, back and forth. I thought, though, it was a five, given that um, the two worked so well together. They're brothers. <laughs> They're freaking brothers. How could they not work well together? So the chemistry was there. The technical, it was technical. It was physical. There was some, like, bending of the rules, which was kind of really cool, too. Submission. We had the selling. They were both exhausted after that superplex spot. So, like, I in my opinion, you can't argue against the work rate. They, they were masters of it. Right. Um, even the finish, the roll-up, even that roll-up was super technical because it, as a part, uh, I think, uh, Brett was trying to go for the, uh, what is that move called where he kind of, I forget the technical name of it, but then for, for him, for Owen to slow it down and then sort of lock in with the knee, he even finishes with the knees on his arms. Like even that was super technical. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was um, that was awesome. So I gave that a five. The excitement. This was one that I kind of was. I, I kind of went back and forth in my own rating of it. I was gonna give it a lower four because of the crowd, but then I realized that actually that was the time, right? I mean, even though the crowd wasn't super like today's standard into it, they I, and I, I was gonna give it a four until they chanted "Let's go, Brett! Let's go, Brett! Let's go, Brett!" So they were clearly into this match. It was just you don't get that same vibe today or from today's style. Um, but it was Madison square garden. Obviously I, I, some of the notes I put was um, the opening match. So it was excitement right there. It was MSG. It was the 10th anniversary of mania. I thought Lawler was fantastic with the, was, with the color. Yeah. I thought he was so Very good in the color. So he added to the excitement and then the crowd chant. So I gave it a five. Maybe you could argue that was probably a four or yeah. maybe a three, but I, I thought it was good there. And then the structure, um, again, no shocker. I gave it a five because they started out quick. 
right? You had a really quick back and forth. It was like really well paced. They slowed it down a little bit in the middle. They sort of went outside for a little bit. There was some sort of shenanigans a little bit from Owen's part. And then we picked it back up. We had the superplex spot. Um, and so that, that, and both men were totally spent at that point. And then even the finish, this is why I thought the structure was so well laid out. Even the finish was unexpected, right? One, the roll-up finish, that was probably unexpected for those two. And two, the winner, obviously, as it should have been unexpected, even the finish style was an unexpected finish as as opposed to like a submission tap out or something like that. So I thought the structure was was top notch as well. So obviously it gets five across the board for me. As it should, based on it being your favorite match of all time. Yes, exactly. So I don't think I was going to be surprising anybody with that. We basically gave a we gave a a softball as far as what we were going to pick for our match, but it's interesting though, isn't it? Like you know, before because what I think before you break it down into all the categories, you're like, yeah, that's a five star match. But when you look at certain things, you're like, oh, you know, is is that you know, does that make it a five star? That's not important. Yeah, yeah, no, it was like I said, it was a super cool process to do this because to your point, like I in my head, it was like amazing. But then watching it back, it reiterated how good a match it was. But then to actually take the um, sort of these elements while you're watching it and sort of play them into it, it actually made it better <laughs> to yeah. me, in my opinion. It actually elevated the match, breaking yeah. it down. So I think your your five categories, man, are so spot on. Like they're so I don't like you're I will give you full credit, you're a genius to come up with those five categories because that couldn't have been easy. And they just make for such a well-rounded match. Yeah, for sure. All right, should I take my crack at this one now? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much in agreement along the way. I'll spoil alert on this one. But uh, <laughs> the story, I don't have to go into that. The build-up to the match itself was just an amazing story. And the nice thing about it is that story continued all through the match as well. It was still that whole little brother, irritating, yappy little yeah. chihuahua that's at his heels, just annoying him to the point where Brett's finally losing his temper. I almost picture Owen just poking him or something the whole time, like on the couch or whatever. But uh, I love the fact that this book goes into the whole psychology and the work rate, I guess, all wrapped into one. But I love the fact that Owen's intensity through everything, he was just so... He just so intense. He wanted to prove himself yeah. to the point that he just celebrated every simple move. A lockup, he celebrated. A, an arm drag, he celebrated. It was just, it was just great. And then, meanwhile, Brett just remains calm for the very beginning of it. Right? He's just, he's like, all right, whatever. You know, you celebrate that stuff. I'll get you. And then, as soon as Brett got one over on him, which was that hip toss kind of uh, escape from the. Uh, from the end around out the ropes, then Owen just loses his temper and just snaps because he got, got the better room. And um, Owen's just playing that perfect, annoying little brother. And then you watch the intensity throughout the match, just ratchet and ratchet and ratchet up until Brett starts losing his cool. And like, like Jay pointed out, the, it was great. The whole, um, the facials on Brett. And I, and I like to say, it's funny. I find now as I watch these matches, I appreciate such small little things, but my favorite part of that match was that whole foot rake on the face where Brett just points up to him. is like, oh, I'll get you, you little bit. <laughs> you know? But it's just, that's what you would expect from it. Um, Brett selling on the leg again, just fantastic. And it wasn't overselling it. No, the whole reason that the injury uh, re-aggravated is because of that plancho to the to the concrete 
and um, that's where. But it, just it to started. throw in there too, sorry, to, but Owen also raked it against the posts a few times too, yes, right? So yeah, he he, yeah. he also in the match was doing it as well. Yeah. So and and Brett didn't oversell. He had Owen making fun of him for it, which was was classic. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> <You> good. <laughs> and then you know you talk about the match structure side of things. I mean, you got you got the. Uh, you can't even say slow build up. It's just an easy build up, and then you get into the heat, and then you get you come back down a little bit as Owen works him over. You know, doing that that camel clutch, working the leg as you say against the post, uh, and then we got into counter, counter, counter. Everything was being countered, which was great because you could see Owen getting frustrated because he knows Brett's just that good. You see Brett getting a bit frustrated. He's like, "Geez, I can't put away my little brother here." I saw, I think it was three attempts for the sharpshooter that all got countered, and mm-hmm. the nice thing was Owen encountered brett's sharpshooter which was great because you mentioned lawler on commentary he's right away yeah. he brought up see i told you he's the one who that, that invented the move yeah. and showed it to brett which fantastic right instead of 18 super kicks that they kick out of you have guys just narrowly missing getting that move in right uh and then the end the end was so believable like owen snuck the clean win brett is shocked um and then owen now has well two things Brett has an out because like you brought up there, Jay, is he had on his mind the fact that he's in a championship title match. And at 20 minutes of wrestling your brother, you're like, I just want to get this over with. Yeah. Did he even maybe give him that, you know, just to get the match over with. And Owen now has the claim that I pinned the world champion clean on WrestleMania, which is just. Can I just pause you there too? In my memory of that match, Owen grabs the rope. And so like, I don't no. know why I had that memory in my match, but then to watch it again and to see that it was actually clean. And that's why I added, it was like actually a technical role because he didn't even, he was right there. And I think that's why in my head, I was like, Oh no, he, I remember him grabbing the ropes and then it was yep. like, he didn't even do that. So didn't he even pinned him with the technical yep. move as well. So that carries him throughout the summer to say like, yep. I, I need to be world champion because I pinned the world champion clean, clean. And then you want to talk about story. How about to end the pay-per-view? What do we have? We have Owen standing in the aisle, watching his brother celebrate his world title win. And once again, Brett steals his thunder. Owen has the biggest win of his career. He beats Brett at WrestleMania, and yet Brett's still walking out the world champion. (laughs) I mean, come on. Like This is just amazing storytelling. So as far as my marks, story, five. Obviously five. The (laughs) psychology of the match is a five across the board. I mean, you have to give it to them. It's just so well laid out. The the work rate. I mean, you got to remember, this is 1994 WWF. They hadn't seen anything like that. Even Savage Steamboat, I would argue the work rate was a little bit better in this because it was so clean and crisp. And just, oh my God, I just love watching Brett wrestle. He's just He's just like a machine in there. He's just so I don't know. smooth. Maybe I missed one, but I don't think there was any hiccups or mistakes in that match no. at all. No, Not none one. at all. Just watching Brett do a float over from a from a Russian leg sweep. And I love how you put that little extra snap into the Russian leg sweep of that one, too. It just It's just a thing of beauty. Now, it's ironic, Jay, the excitement part. You mentioned that, and this is where I, I dipped down. I gave it a four yeah. only because I said at that time, I was super excited for it because I'm into I'm I knew the Hart family from back in the Stampede days. That's back in the eighties, right? But not every fan would have known about Owen and his past. He was not considered a main inventor at that point in time. So I think the fans are like, ah, eh, is this gonna be kind of a cakewalk for Brett? You know, it's just it's his annoying little brother. But the excitement level ramped up to the match. You mentioned that the fans started with Let's Go Brett, you know, they're booing Owen. 
And um, at the end, I would say it probably went to a five, uh, but I'll give it a four just no, for that. Fair. Yeah. But and then the max structure itself. Oh my god, the max structure was so good. That's again a five. So overall, I gave this match a five out of five, uh, or a five star rating because I think the weight of all the other four categories overlaps that excitement it, yeah. level. And, and as I say, by the end of the match, the excitement level was at a five. And just one last thing I want to point out, and this is something that I would love to see more wrestlers think about today. Owen was not afraid to play the heel. There was nothing cool about Owen Hart. He was just this annoying little brother. He was just so, like I say, he's like the chihuahua yapping at the feet. He just drove you crazy. And that's why you didn't like him. That's why you cheered against him. Even even mid through the match, he did the timeout. I love that. He, he when he was outside, he tried to do the T, the technic, the timeout sign, and Brett just threw him back in. Even the spit great. in his cheek. Oh my! <laughs> I was gonna mention that. Like, why didn't somebody just mention it to him before they shot the promo? Like, wipe your face, dude. He probably he probably said, uh, "Keep it on." He probably said to yeah. himself, "Keep it on," because you know what? They'll just irritate people more. You know, now <laughs> people want to cheer me because I beat Brett. It's like, no, look at this guy. He's got spit in his cheek. You know, just- the other thing that distracted me in that after match promo, he kept looking at somebody. I was like, who is he looking at? He was looking off camera at somebody and I couldn't figure out who. But anyway. Yeah. So there you go. We got both gave it five. Now, Aaron, what do you think? What do you, first of all, what do you think <laughs> no of pressure. our analysis? Are we worthy of wrestling by Wildridge or is it just caca or what do you think? 100% nah that was really good guys I don't think everything was explained to a T um, you explained the ratings you gave so yeah really good really good great stuff loved it did you consider this one a 5 in your books so oh, I, I am a bit torn I think I would definitely give it a 5 star rating yeah um, but like UBC um, I would probably give a 4 for one of the categories so, like you say, the storytelling, I'd give a five for sure. I think it was just like incredibly multi-layered, to be honest. You know, had a really good story of one-upsmanship. Each guy trying, the brothers trying to get one over the other. Um, they started the match out by working on each other's arms, which it didn't sort of play much into the finish of the match, but I thought it did enhance the whole one-upsmanship thing with Brett showing how good he was as a technical wrestler by working the limb. And then everyone was like, well, hang on, I can do that as well. So he decided to work the arm. You've got Owen work in the back, which is another story. Brett, Brett's leg, which is great because it brings it back to the beginning of the story where, you know, when they took, when Owen turned on Brett and kicked his leg out from underneath and which was great. I, you know, like you said, with the point and thing with Brett, there were also some really good little wrinkles in this match. Um, the part, because obviously Owen slapped Brett at the beginning of the match and later on in the match, Brett sort of returned the favor and slapped Owen. So I like that little bit of storytelling. At the beginning of the match, where they were kind of going tip for tat, you could see Brett going for an amateur takedown. And then when Owen counted, he went for an amateur takedown. So I liked how Owen would kind of use the same moves that Brett was using after him just to show that he could do that better. Um, yeah, just just amazing storytelling. The finish was a great story as well, because I think a lot of the, the near falls would come from roll-ups. So I thought Brett Hart trying to roll up Owen. So I thought it was quite ironic that Owen was the one to roll up um, Brett Hart in the finish. I thought that was great. So yeah, five five for the storytelling for sure. Psychology, you guys mentioned with uh, Owen Hart, like how great he was. Personally, I think his heel psychology in this match was the best thing about this match. Like he was absolutely fantastic. Just all the just the slapping, the hair pulling, and all the submissions, the low blow. 
walking over the ring. He was just on fire. He, he even tried made... to smother him while he was doing the camel clutch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that camel clutch. I was going to put that. The away. knee to the back. He had the knee to the back. Yeah. yeah. Sure. You know, people say these days, like about something Jericho always says called rest holds. You know, it's not a rest hold because you, you know you're working the rest hold, and I feel like with the camel clutch. Owen was really working that rest hold, like getting in his face and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great to see. Yeah, just I thought the psychology was fantastic for sure. So I definitely have to give that a five stars. Um, work rate, five as well. Like you say, that you know, it wasn't a spot fest or anything like that, but the technical wrestling on the show was absolutely fantastic. All the submissions used in the match, it was just amazing. There was some high risk offense as well. We saw a big old superplex from the top rope, a couple of planches, which was great to see. Um, the athleticism was awesome. I think I, I quite liked how Owen, because Owen, I think a lot of people would say Owen is a bit more athletic than Brett, whereas yeah. Brett is more technically sound. Yeah. And I liked how Owen kind of used his athleticism more when he realized he couldn't match Brett on the technical level. Obviously, loads of counters, which was awesome. The excitement, I would personally give a five. Um, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. I don't. The fans weren't invested the whole way through. There were times when they were a little bit quiet. But as you say, it just pro- progressed nicely until the end, and we really got into it. But I think what also helps the excitement rating for this is the fact of how unpredictable it was in a way. I mean, maybe not back then. You would think that Brett would win the match, you know. But going back now, it, I think it is quite unpredictable. You know, you're not, you're not sure how it's going to go. It's the first time Owen and Brett got in the ring, which just adds to the emotion and the anticipation of the match. Um, weren't, weren't much major spots, but I think the athleticism did definitely help there. And in terms of the match structure, this is where I was a little bit torn. So I really liked the pacing of the match because I thought it fluctuated well. I thought, you know, it was quite slow when it needed to be, but then there were really quick bursts of pace when the action kicked in. So that was really cool. Um, really nice structure in terms of how it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. We had a lot of the one-upsmanship at the beginning. Then we had Owen working the heat in the middle with the leg work and the back work. And then we had all of the counter work in the end to build up to the finish. So that was really great. But I'm, I'm, I am glad that it, you know, I think it, it was great that it did last 20 minutes. It was great to see it get this amount of time. But I do kind of think it could have been maybe three, four minutes shorter maybe if they'd cut out a bit of the, at the beginning with the arm work. Like, I do think that added to the story, but it didn't really play much into the finish. And I, I don't think the guys, you know, they did a fair amount of work to the arm, but I don't think it was sold too much either. So it was kind of forgotten about. So I feel like if that was just cut out, you know, I think that could have been a bit better. And the finish, although I did really like how it did fit into the story, I did find it to be a little bit anticlimactic, although it was a great surprise. You know, you never expected Owen to win like that. I, I feel like it, you know, I feel like the match deserved like a, a, a more grander finish in a way. But um, yeah, for me, I'd, I'd definitely give it a five stars. You know, I, I would give the match structure a high four, but everything else in the match just picked it up to that level. So, yeah. No, those those are those are really good points around the uh, the finish. You, you would have been satisfied with a bigger, grandiose finisher for sure, too. But then, you know, you, you get that in the, the cage match at the end of the day that they have. Yeah. Wrong, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's the beginning of the story, isn't it? Yeah, true. So yeah. It, it does make sense. Um, I think, I guess when you single out 
um, and you forget about the other bits, and it's like yeah. but it does make sense in the grand. If you take the match just on its own, a grander finish, but if you take yeah. it as the, the the whole, yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's half, but, and I think yeah. uh, going back to my point, going back to my point of it gives an out as well. You know, right. it, it it was a sneaky one. Did Brett mm-hmm. maybe just finally say? God, I got to get ready for my other match. Uh, part of the match structure, too, is the announcers make up part of that match structure as well. And I think the announcers could have – they did fantastic. Like, everybody craps on McMahon as an announcer. I, I didn't mind McMahon as an announcer. I loved him. I, I'd rather hear McMahon's kind of – some of his just what a maneuvers than hearing <laughs> 18 different ways to say a plancha. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, uh, but I, I think – Lawler could have done a little bit more of like, why doesn't Brett just, you know, give up? And so then he's ready yeah. for his title match, that type of thing. He could have just played the true heel side of it. And then, uh, and then maybe the urgency from McMahon, just like, wow, you know, Brett's, Brett's got another match to go here. And I mean, this is really starting to take a toll on him. You could have done that. And maybe that could have helped with the yeah. match. Structure. I, I, I don't think they mentioned, they didn't really mention the sort of main event, the fact that Brett was in another match, did they? Not until the very, oh, no. not until the finish was over. I think really yeah. did did Vince say maybe that was play, uh, he said something about something playing in his head kind of thing. Yeah, but I, yeah. I don't think they really touched on the main event. But it did give that nice out as far as yeah. uh, him having that other part. The only other thing I could think of in the lead up to the storyline is I might have involved Cornette a little bit more with uh, Owen and just like, hey, you know, uh, do you have to beat him? Maybe you can just kind of work the leg for Yokozuna for the main event, you know, that type <laughs> of thing. But. Uh, but I know what they wanted to tell. They wanted to have a pure wrestling match. It's the 10th anniversary of Mania. They wanted to have something that was memorable. And I, I totally forgot about even like the entrance. I, I forgot what a memorable entrance that was for Brett, like coming out of that tunnel. And uh, that's how many times you've seen that on like WWE um, flashbacks and stuff like that, that whole WrestleMania entrance for Brett. So it's just. That's something I did laugh at. It's a little bit irrelevant, but when Brett puts his, uh, his glasses on the, the child and, the kid's just not interested whatsoever. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's just bored. Yeah, so. King 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 even played it up too. And then Owen ripping his glasses yeah. too. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. great. Uh and even subtleties, like I know Owen went with black and pink as well, but Owen had like a bubblegum pink, whereas Brett goes with the hot pink. Just just tiny little subtle things is just ah. I just uh, you know, I could watch that match all day yeah. long. Yeah. It's just you know, when- when people say, you know, matches from this age just don't match up to the to the ones from these days. If you look at this technically and you compare it to like the best technical match now, I, I just can't see a difference. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, Brett and Owen are fantastic in the ring, just so technically sound. And like we said, like you said earlier, with um, the intensity with Brett on the Russian leg sweep and things like that, I think that is something that's missing these days. You know, guys just hitting moves and kind of just going through the motions not really putting the effort and the intensity into each move even the rest holds yeah well it's like i almost go into a match these days expecting no selling right yeah Uh, maybe not from wwe's perspective but i expect that nobody's going to sell an AEW match and i'm not shitting on it i'm just saying like you just have to go into a match now with a certain anticipation that you're not going to get a guy crawling across the the ring to try and get to the ropes you know what yeah. i mean because he's so injured and exhausted you just don't you're not going to get that something i love about this one there's um the moment where owen hits the sit out pile driver yeah and you think oh you know that's got to end the match because it's a pile yeah. driver but um before he no it's brett who hits the pile driver isn't it they and both did, did. Uh, they owen both, did yeah, a tombstone, owen tombstone. Oh, yeah. owen hits tombstone 
Yeah. But before Brett covers Owen, he clutches his leg and then he covers. Yeah, it's like, like, such great psychology. Yeah. It's such great psychology, you know. Um, I know. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I said about that whole MJF tombstone off the second rope. He had literally the, his leg was being worked on the whole match. All he had to do was roll away and start screaming in agony about his knee and his then knee, go yeah. over and try to cover. It. I forget who he was fighting. Was it, it wasn't Darby, yeah. was it? In that? I forget who no, it was. But, uh, Guevara. It was Guevara, I think. Yeah. That's all he had to do. And then Sammy has the out as to why he kicked out. But he jumped on him immediately after hitting that tombstone off the second rope. Sammy kicks out of two, and then MJF rolls off and holds his knee. I'm like, why did you do that? Yeah. It's so backwards. It's like mm-hmm. you just gave an out for it. But it's like, oh, sorry, I was just, it's no, like um, MJF's recent match with Darby Allen. Like, that was fantastic. Don't get me wrong, I full gear. Um, but, uh, you know, M- MJF hit the tombstone on, on the ring apron, didn't you? Yep. Like, your leg was hurt before that, so why would you hit the tombstone on it? Yeah. That's, that's something I don't understand. Like, why would, would you risk hitting the tombstone if yeah, um, oh, it and, makes sense for Darby Allen because he's, you know, I think the story they told us are Darby Allen's a risk taker and all this, you know. But. Yeah. And, and I think a little thing that all AEW would have to do, and I know we're kind of going down the road, but just have the announcers sell it for them. You know yeah. what I mean? Or be like, mm-hmm. oh, he didn't, he couldn't put all his body weight on that pin because his knee, you know what I mean? Like make something up and at least, yeah. but they don't even try and do that. They just well, never try and do that. Well, actually, oh, yeah. Jay, you'll hear, uh, if you listen to Jim Cornette, he talks about that and he talks about how JR. He he can tell Jr. is trying to do that, but he doesn't have enough time. He, he doesn't get it bang in. Into yeah. the move. And, yeah. and like they always talk about, let it breathe, let the announcers fill in that little spot. And he said he can. He says I can tell by the things that Jr. is not saying as to what he thinks of that match because yeah. normally he would be jumping in and giving that yeah. reasoning. You know, yeah, right. I love guys like um, like Taz in AW or Nigel McGuinness or Corey Graves. Pretty good, like their yeah. proper like, analysis where they actually dissect why the wrestlers are doing the moves. Like that's what I love hearing. Like why why would he choose to do that move? Why is he right. why is that hold good? And these kind of commentators, Jim Ross is really good at it as well. They explain why they're doing it and that's just what you want to hear, isn't it? No, it's a great point. Well, Aaron, man, this was a blast. Uh, I I know we're being very uh, selfish with your time here. It's, it's a Sunday. <laughs> it's supper time for you. It's getting so supper should, time now. Yeah, we should let you get back to it. But before we go, I want to thank you so much for coming and joining us. I love doing the under analysis. I I since you started doing that, I've loved that program itself. I can't wait for season two. Um, and, uh, what I'd like you to do is promote the living shit out of your program. Please. Now let's, let's fire away. Where can we find it? What should we expect? Just convince our people to, uh, to watch you on, on YouTube. Okay. So yeah, like BZ just said, I am on YouTube wrestling by Waldridge. That last name it might be a bit hard to spell, but I'm sure, I'm sure it will come up just the under analysis. I think that should come up on YouTube, but yeah, um, I mainly do um, I mainly do analysis videos. Like I started off in top five, and now I'm doing where I'm dissecting a match. Um, yeah, I'm trying to also do a few branch out a little bit, do some fantasy booking. I've also got an idea for a podcast coming up. I did a couple of sessions on it already. It's called Legacy Sessions, where I go through the top three matches of a certain wrestler. I'd love to have you guys on the show at some point. Obviously, you need to get in contact with you about that. But yeah, just I'm just trying to do things a little bit differently. Especially, especially with my analysis, just a different way of 
looking at reviewing matches. So yeah, if that's something you're into and you want to have a good time, come and come and watch me. But thank you so much, guys, for for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. I'm a massive fan of this show. Honestly, you guys are killing it. This is one of my my favorite podcasts. As soon as you guys say we've got a new episode up, straight on there, you'll, you'll be the first thing I listen to. And I'm yeah. Well, we feel the same about yours. Same thing. You know, it's just, it's a must-see TV, as I would call it. Uh, as social media, it's at Wrestling by W, right? Yeah. yeah. I just thought, I better not put the water in because that's a little confusing. So <laughs> I, I'll keep it at W. Yeah, Wrestling by W, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. Uh, Jay, awesome. anything you want to say before we get going and let Aaron go eat? No, uh, just thanks again. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy uh, watching the under analysis and I'm, I'm going to get more into your fantasy booking too because that uh, you hooked me with that the Woods story. So uh, so thanks again, man. It's been awesome chatting. Uh, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you very much, my friend. It's been a pleasure. And straight from the blanket booth, I'm going to say this has been BC. This has been Jay. This has been Aaron. And we... Are I am not a nugget, damn it. <laughs> I have always wanted I have always wanted to be live to hear you say that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>